Okay, now that we are six feet apart, let's remove our masks. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so I'm going to do a little introduction. I just wanted to make sure that we are presenting ourselves as COVID safe. Uh, we have been wearing our mask. Um, so let's get to it. Um, our guest today is one that I met very early on in my career, and she has been nothing but kind and encouraging uh, for so many years, uh, especially to me personally, um, that we've known each other. Um, her passion for her work and the projects that she picks um, have made her the definition of fan favorite. So I like to call Shauna the fan favorite costume designer. <laughs> um, Power Rangers, Firefly, Angel, Dollhouse, Dr. Horrible, Sing Along Song, Powers, A Cabin in the Woods, SpongeBob, and now Mandalorian. Please welcome Shauna Tripsick. Thank you very much. Glad <laughs> no to be problem. Here. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Yeah. Um, I always start with a boring question just to get it out of the way, but I want to know how did you come to costume design? Um, I'll do the short version. Um, I was in high school. I wanted to be a truck driver, be a mechanic, but my art teacher said, no, you're going to art school. Help me get into art college. And I went to Otis. While I was there, I studied fashion, but then I discovered I didn't really like the nine to five aspect of it. So then I went to uh, Film Institute and asked the student directors if I could design their student films. And I did that. And then that's how you kind of mm -hmm. just started to go. Now, the fun thing that I like, um, Shauna actually has a, a similar core to at least for me that's zeroed in my heart, which is why I feel like she understands us, which is she was an illustrator. Mm -hmm. So she started um, doing illustration, then assistant costume designer, and then became a designer. So can you talk us through how that process was and like when you were illustrating and then moving forward? Sure. Well, yeah. part, of, part of my training at Otis was you had to draw everything you designed. I also am a couturier, draper, sewer. I can do all, all those things. And so I had only designed these low budget films, but I couldn't afford to join the union as a designer. So I joined as an assistant designer slash illustrator. And because of the, I love to draw and I've always drawn comic books. I've always drawn caricatures and characters. And when um, Albert Wolski saw my portfolio, he was working on a movie called Toys and mm -hmm. he hired me as an assistant designer illustrator because he needed an illustrator so um that was my introduction working for him on a movie that ended up getting nominated for an academy Award. Yeah, which is, that's a pretty good <laughs> kinda, introduction kinda good way to start. <laughs> um plus he's the most gracious designer in the world and um and gave me credit for you know helping to design certain characters and it was just a, above and beyond and so from that, I continued to illustrate, and because I also had a background in sewing and designing, people often gave me more more responsibilities. Got and it. so I ended up working eventually for Jill Hanansian as her assistant designer illustrator. And then she pretty much gave me Firefly when she moved on to Six Feet Under. So. That's really awesome. Yeah. See, so I think that in hearing that, I want everybody to kind of be aware, too, is that the connections that you make can also be very positive and very... Um, uh, I don't want to say fruitful, but it's more so like there's a support network. So we have a support, a supportive team of people, um, of creatives that are actively supporting each other and helping each other For succeed. Sure. Um, and so I think that that's a really great story. Um, my story with Shauna is, is I ended up working with her on A Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, which was awesome <laughs> and turned out really I hired great. you as an assistant designer yes. slash illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first time really kind of getting into the process of feeling like I was trusted in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to say that thank you to Shauna for that. Um, we had a really good time doing all of those characters and it was such a fun kind of... Um, it felt like very fast moving. Yeah. I remember it being um, like there was a ton of characters and was like trying to figure out what's this, what's that. Um, and Shauna was just there for the whole thing. Um, I think also too... Um, there was the period of time, I think, when you were doing Dollhouse, mm -hmm. um, where I got to go and visit Shauna, and she kind of showed me around, but she kind of continued to show me the process. Yeah. I think process is really important um, because it kind of shows you the different avenues of whatever department you're working in. Sure. And since Shauna has done almost every avenue of that, um, she's really knowledgeable, and I think that carries forth to how she works now, right? Yeah. Um, so I think... Let's talk about a little bit in terms of like, were there any inspirations that you had very early on in your career that helped to shape how you think about design? Sure. Um, I mean, I, the first designer I ever worked for was was Bob Mackey. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the only reason why I was chosen for that project is at, at Otis, we would do fashion drawings. And I only drew, my models were always black, mm -hmm. um, African-American. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, that sort of set me apart, and he had an African American character in his in his group, and so he chose me because I already had knowledge on how to draw the features and the right. same color. Um, so I would have to say that my influences or inspirations are always the exploration of the 
art of creating a character. Yeah, that's what Bob Mackie told me. And is there is there a moment like that you feel um, was it, or is there a character that you've worked on where you kind of, I guess, invigorated or felt like you were in the pocket of that, like in terms of you're like, this is a character that I really love or I really kind of figured this one out. I think we have to do that with every single character. Yeah. So as a costume designer, in case those, some don't know, mm -hmm. is you design every single character on screen. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're just there to design this person or that person. Also, on bigger shows, there is sometimes a designer specifically for one character. But usually, you're designing every single character, every single background, every single featured person. So um, for me, getting into the mind of every single character is important because you never know who they're going to feature. And someone like Boba Fett is a perfect example. He was a caricature almost on the Christmas holiday show. And mm -hmm. then he was a character that you never saw his face, basically played by a stuntman or, you know, on, on Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. So he became a star. He became a fan favorite. So... That has always helped, I, and he's always been my favorite, which yeah. is amazing <laughs> that I finally got to design him. But um, it's important that every single character is given all the love and attention. And I, I do all, as many background fittings as I can mm -hmm. um, because I love to talk to the individual actor, the dreamer, who wants to be more than a, a background artist. But I think it's important for every every character to be designed head to toe and every character to be thought out why are they wearing that brooch what what, what area of the country did they grow up in who who was their mother and father what were their careers what would influence their dress and so i find fascination in every character as i write their stories or i write their backstories in my mind mm -hmm. even when i'm aging i validate that stroke what is that is that you know sweat coming through these different layers of the tuscan raider mask why <laughs> why, why is that there so every character i think you guys would be surprised to know too that even though sean is busy and she is actively designing she actively also gets in with her crew and she's getting her hands dirty, yes, very dirty. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with aging and things like that um i think that what you bring up is a really good point, which is in terms of at least costume design and character design, we often talk about the fact that you really do have to set up some kind of backstory or something. It's not just putting clothes on people. It's actively figuring out why people make choices. Yes. And then ultimately, underneath all of that as well, there's the pipeline or the through line of making sure that whatever the character is wearing is helping to tell the story. Yes. Right. Um, is there what's what do you think is a, is a common misconception that people have about costume design? A lot of people come in thinking that they're sitting in a room drawing pretty pictures and they they they, they sew them and they put them on, you know, doing one character. You yeah. know, and, and that's what they're in charge of. Um, a costume designer is a politician. A costume designer is a CEO of a million dollar company. A costume designer is a therapist, oftentimes even, you know, keeping your crew up and building them up. And mm -hmm. we can do this. Get, you know, get, let's get over the 15th hour. You know, mm -hmm. you, we've got this. A costume designer is also a, very much a storyteller as we communicate with the actors and and get together with directors to create these characters. Right. Now, there's there's something that I want to talk about because I think it's a little bit of a signature. So you have or you add pink flamingos <laughs> into your costumes. Can yes, you talk to you talk to me about that? <laughs> yes. This started on Firefly with a character named Badger. Mm -hmm. um, I put some sort of sparkly um, pink flamingos on his suit because he was trying to be a very important man. Mm -hmm. And to me, these were found objects that maybe he stole from somebody and they sparkled. And so he kept them on him. And I just love the juxtaposition of a dirty criminal and these, and these little, little pink, pink flamingos. Right. And um, my customer, Cleo Manel, had brought those in our kit to Dollhouse, which was also a Fox show. And she's like, look, do you remember this? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to put that. So I put it on Topher's assistant. Mm -hmm. As a, as a kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod, and um, and then that was that that was it. They were I've hid them in Torchwood. I've hid them in <laughs> um, This Is the End on on the character right behind Rihanna. I mean, I've I've hidden them everywhere. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> now that's something too that don't don't uh, fans of the show when you go to Comic Con and stuff like that don't they always show up with their pink flamingos? They show up with pink flamingos. Um, uh, you know, like I said, I have it on slippers, ties, t-shirts, mm -hmm. pins, wherever. Um. And they've even done a box, a fan box that had a pink flamingo pin in it. For and there's, there's also a hat, right? I, I haven't seen a hat. No, no, not the pink flamingo hat. There's a hat. Oh, that the everyone, Jane hat. Yeah, yes. the Jane hat. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. yeah. So that was based on, um, so that was from Firefly. Mm -hmm. And Jane Cobb, which is funny because now I've designed Cobb Vanth for Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. But Jane Cobb um, 
was supposed to get a gift from his mother, and he had to put it on in the scene. And I had sold Josh on Josh on the kind of idea that I used to get these slippers from my grandmother that she would hand hand crochet and had a big puffy you know um, pom pom on top. Mm-hmm. But he had to put on the scene, and he had his you know he had his army boots on. And that wasn't going to work, so I made a hat out of it. And because I needed a pattern, and I had his thrilling heroics hat, and a lady was knitting some scarves for Christmas, and I asked her to knit him this hat. So it's just funny how things like that turn out because it's so yeah. personal. Like yeah. it was such a personal thing, and now it became like not, you know, not personal. Do you find that specifically, like just Firefly, because it's such a fan favorite? Do you find that that was something that you feel is constantly giving you like a um, a little bit of a boost or a reward, knowing that people responded so well to it? Yeah, if, for sure. I get giddy every time I see one. And I think the reason why they responded is it did come from my heart. Yeah. It came from a story. It came from a story of love and gifts and family. And people really resonated with that. It really resonated with people. And those are the things that I think that you actively aren't trying to do. It's just a part of something mm-hmm. that then becomes something bigger, right? When you care about what you do. When you care about what you do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, the one other thing that I want to ask you specifically about is just in terms of like when you are starting like when you're starting a project or you're starting an initial thing, where do you start? Like, do you, are you starting with the script and then doing boards? Like, what's your process in terms of starting the initial thought of like what these people can be or what the characters can be? Sure, script um, comes first, mm-hmm. uh, and then meeting with the well before it's often I'll get the script and then I'll do t- I'll just do deep diver research and I'll go deeper and deeper and deeper to really try to find out sort of what I think the backstory might be and what might be the reasons that these people wear these things or look this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll do a presentation to the director, writer, um, store, showrunner, whoever I'm meeting with. And um, and then I feed off of them, if their direction, off their, they say, oh, a little less like this, a little more like that. And then I'll go into sketching often after that point to fine tune my design. And these days, especially with TV, you have time to do one, one sketch. Correct. So, so that first meeting, you really have to graft every little piece of information um, and, and really hook on every detail because they're all meaningful and it's so quick and you have so little time. And then I just have to fine tune it into one sketch. And I'm like, okay, how's this? And I'm like, great, go, get it done. And you got a day to build, you know, an army. So. I've also watched, I've, I've personally watched Shauna sketch and draw, um, but then also be inspired by like one piece. Like she finds this like hat or this like this necklace or something. Sure. And then that literally, that one piece can then turn into an entire costume, Absolutely. right? Can Absolutely. you talk a little bit about that? Like in terms of like what you're thinking when that happens? Yeah, well, I mean, even, even in the creation of a character, character like Ahsoka, mm-hmm. I searched for every bead that I made her her little chain out of that, mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm not saying it is or it isn't, is very reminiscent of the braid that she had when she was training. Right. You know, so every single detail is important and every single detail inspires me, you know, whether it be a pom-pom on a slipper that inspired Jane's hat or a bead that inspired, you know, or the the, the little braid on Ahsoka that inspired, inspired her little chain. You know, it's... I think every form of art is an inspiration for an artist. So now that we're here, because we have to, I was trying to hold it, but we must talk about Mandalorian. (laughs) (laughs) It's honestly why we're here. It's why I'm wearing my shirt. Like We must talk about it. So (laughs) let's start with Ahsoka Tan. Sure. Um, Talk about, because that was such a fan favorite character, and I know that there was like fan casting with Rosario, and then Rosario ended up playing her, and she did an amazing job. She did so Um, good. She's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want you to talk about, like, walk us through that process of, like, starting the character from, like, start to finish. Sure. Well, first, um, it's funny. When I first met Doug, um, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, Mm -hmm. it was my job interview. And we interviewed in a room that had all the concept art from Doug Chang's office. Yes. And um, I had already gone in wanting to sort of, I had already done research and designed a new Ahsoka Tano because of the way um, the last episode ended with Ahsoka and Sabine walking off into the sunset. I'm like, it would be really great to see her on The Mandalorian. And they're like, she's right there. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that was kind of a neat thing that happened. Um, so, so with them... Um, so I kind of knew the general concept of what she should f- feel like, but fr- both from the animation mm-hmm. and from seeing Doug's work, Doug Chang's work. And so then it was just lots of meetings with, with Dave Filoni and, and John and, and Doug and bouncing off ideas and fine-tuning. Then it was just the search for the fabrics that would tell, help me tell the story because she is this sort of very spiritual being, and I needed 
in uh, some of the very first concept drawings that Doug Chang's office, that Doug and them did, was the flowing of her robe and the almost iridescence of it. And I couldn't find that fabric anywhere. And um, I was finding fabrics that I could wash and make for her, for other parts of her costume, but I couldn't find that anywhere. And then Julie Robar, the costume supervisor for my department, she's like, why, well, why don't we just have you make the fabric? And I'm like, can I do that? Yeah, like, I was yeah, like, yeah. Can I, is that like, possible? I would just love, can we afford that? And she's like, absolutely. This is a main character. You can do what you want. So I started collecting threads of all things. Um, China silk threads that would give me the bright, bright, bright colors, and then these raw silks that would give me the gray and mm -hmm. nubby. And um, and we sent it to a weaver in New York on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Wow. And her name is Rabbit, and she's fabulous. <laughs> and um, she would send me samples, and I would send them back saying, I need it heavier, I need it lighter, I need, I need to be able to fray it, but I need the fray not to... And all these different instructions, and I got you know, 50 yards of this gorgeous, gorgeous silk that um, was, part, was part of her creation. That's incredible. And yeah. then from that point, once you guys were able to kind of create the fabric and stuff, it feels like the character kind of took shape. So did you, did you know at the time initially, so first when you were first designing, did you know that it was going to be Rosario? Were you designing around that or were you just designing for the character first and then? Yeah, it's the character first because... Um, Rosario inhabited the character. Yes. She she is Ahsoka. Like, yeah. like she truly, truly is. So I was designing for the character. Right. I think I knew that that's who they were looking at. It might have been a whisper, or maybe I was just following too many fan sites. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, with her in mind, I'm sure, um, we were designing, but I was designing for the character and um, researching the character, where she came from, her sort of rebellion, but also the need of a live woman being having to be able to fight and move and yeah. the need of storytelling of her the the movement that i needed it, when the breeze is blowing and the wind is blowing that that's very characteristic of her character and so it was it was many different things that influenced even rosario herself mm -hmm. um so shannon shannon shorts my my tailor he and i would meet with rosario mm -hmm. and um we had a, a little bit more of a corseted feel in the back mm -hmm. um because we we're trying to create this um very samurai kimono feel, that, very influenced by by Seven Samurai. Yes, um, right. But uh, it it wasn't giving her enough movement in the back, and she's like, you know, can we do it in a, you know the Razorback? And we're like, oh my gosh, that's how we solve it. We'll do the Euro jersey and a Razorback, and that way you'll have full movement. And you know, so even meeting with the actress helped help us find her too. And so then once you guys got that, like, let's talk about those influences, which yes. is the Kurosawa kind yes. of influences. Like, how did you kind of play those influences into designing specifically for that episode? Because it's so inspired by that. Well, a lot of his a lot of his work. What I just loved was the aging and, and the breakdown of the costume. But even even as they were going across country, there was always a certain uniformity to what they were wearing. It it meant something. It, it people recognized it when they walked into a village, and it was respected, and it held their armor and it held their 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 you know their weapons. But they always had it folded a certain way, and it was always draped a certain way. And I really love that, and that's very very indicative of star wars it's you ba they basically wear one costume through the history of their of their life right there are some basic changes like when luke skywalker you know was promoted and things like that right and 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 general organa but that it's important to create an iconic character and i really saw that in seven samurai and movies like that and good and bad and the ugly where these where they basically wear one costume for the entire, for the film. entire film and it's aged to perfection and it's soft and it's lived in and it's worn and you see that warrior aspect of it and I really tried to capture that with her. I think you did a really good job with that, too, because there are there's the points where it's like we get it's interesting how even though she has like kind of like this one costume and then kind of like her like cape or her mm -hmm. cloak, it felt like we got different versions of her. And I think it's because she feels lived in and she yeah. feels worn and she feels like a real person. Yeah. So I think you did a good job there. I'm going to talk. Go back to this. This still right here, which is we have. uh Diana Lee Inosanto. Yeah. I want to say, I'm, I've, I've said your name wrong. I'm sorry, but she's <laughs> Bruce Lee's goddaughter. Yes, yes. And you got to work with her. Talk about her costumes and then kind of like how you had to adjust for her, you know, her yes. stance. So um, Mary Ann Parker is my tailor for her. Yeah. And um, Dave Filoni kept on saying he, he wanted it to cross. He wanted it to cry. Like it, he, he couldn't quite define it. And so I literally did a sketch where I was just sort of almost scribbling black and red, black and red. Mm -hmm. And I had found these amazing silks that had a, it was basically 
black, but it, it was a silk shantung, but really thin. And it had this red dashes in it. So I was able to find mm-hmm. the red, the gold, the black, and then this re- the whole the whole pant mm-hmm. is out of that dashed, um, you know, black and red uh, outfit. When we put it on her, though, she she's a real fighter. Mm-hmm. And so she has a stance about her. And so all this draping kind of crunched up and we're like, oh, dear. We, so we, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. so we had to sort of um, realize that she's going to be fighting. This is this is not a, a poised, beautiful. This is a, a strong. So we made some adjustments. And, and like I said, those are. 100% the real pant, you know, with all the pleats and the opening. And she got in them, and I'm like, that's too much fabric to fight on. But we based it on, you know, a samurai pant. And she just went into the movements. I got chills just mm-hmm. talking about in the fitting room. And she's like, these are perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was amazing to watch her inhabit the character in front of us. And let's talk about the subtlety, even though, like, if people are missing that, the subtlety between using the red. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you have the red and the black, which is reserved for. Well, d- generally the Sith. Yes. But hers is a little, hers isn't quite the bright of red course. of the Sith. But it it is a fine line. And Dave Filoni keeps me very accountable yes. on that um, to make sure that we're not alluding to something that we shouldn't because the fans pick up on everything. So her, but she is sort of a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was okay for her, for me to to go there. Yeah, I'd say she ended up, what did she say? She said, kill the women and the children or something. I'm yeah. just like, Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's, like, yeah. she's like, get rid of everybody. Um, so like, I think, or go door to door. But that was awesome. And I, I, I did love that episode. I think that the the juxtaposition, the kind of warrior aspects and the, um, the I don't, I don't want to say it's like ceremony. It felt like there's like a, like a, um, uh, a code. There's definitely a code. A code. Yeah. Um, I felt like that really came across and it was a strong episode. Yeah. Um, let's talk about um, uh, moving into, I guess, uh, we can talk about uh, Boba Fett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit. Talk about Boba Fett. Yeah. So uh, we just got this really awesome episode with him. Um, and I want you to talk about just the pressures of even just trying to stay true to canon and also then expanding into something new. Yeah. That's actually not Boba Fett. Yeah, that's not Boba. But yeah, like it's like, <laughs> and that's from season one that was designed by Joseph Poro. That that particular. Yes, <laughs> we gotta get we gotta get a Boba Fett in there. But for the, in the meantime, yes. talk to us about Boba Fett. Yeah. So um, again, there was concept art from Doug Chang, and um, and he was in the classic sort of light bluish gray mm-hmm. jumpsuit with the classic armor. And I was Mike. I was working with illustrator Micah Wandi, mm-hmm. and um, shout out to Mike. Yeah, shout out to Mike. <laughs> um, I I love I love the idea of the the skirt, and because a lot of in samurai they always have the sort of a skirt, a fighting skirt, mm-hmm. and things like that. And the idea of him having come through the desert in these you know these royal robes and everything, I wanted to integrate him in black. And and Filoni's like, no, he can't be in black with with the armor because that that would that goes too dark, that goes to Darth mm-hmm. Vader. But Michael Wanti drew it up anyways, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I, I forgot to give you the note that he didn't want this, but I love but it. But I really love it, right? <laughs> um, and because I had only I had only pitched it verbally, right? And um, and so I brought so the next presentation with John Favreau and 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 Dave and mm-hmm. Doug. And Dave loved it. And yeah. I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Yeah. And so I got to touch an iconic character with with my dream, with with my vision. And that was that was amazing. How in that in that instance, too, how are you bridging like because you have to try and look at what he's been mm-hmm. and you're also showing us what he is. How were you able to like bridge those things together, like make it new, but still make it to where people are right. like recognizing who he is as a character? Right. Well, I mean, he he'd been through the Saralic pit, and he, you know, and there's a whole backstory that you know I'm sure the fans will help rewrite mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but um, it's it was important to me to show a journey. I don't know what that journey is, and I don't know how that journey will ever be seen. But it, it was important for me through the through the acid burns on the on the armor yeah. and through his choice of. So all of his fabrics were silk that his unders were were built out of, and mm-hmm. it, it, they're all very aged and worn in, and it just to show a journey, a journey that will hopefully be written someday. 
Are there are there things when you guys are looking at it too? I think one of the things that I just wanted to point out, um, especially this is this is from Mr. Rob McKinnon, another concept artist, because he's like really into Star Wars, and I asked him was that um, he wanted to uh, kind of call it to attention to the fact that everyone that's working on this show is doing such an amazing job in the sense of really sticking to the things that are inherently Star Wars, yes. but also expanding them and making them um, meaningful and cool yeah. and fun to watch, um, and then getting the details right. So he talked about like the knee the knee rockets yes. um like stuff like that or the dents the yeah and the <laughs> dents in the armor like very much so like yeah. on par with like how like how you guys are sticking with looking at everything now are they archiving everything or do you go in do you walk into an archive room or are you looking at like old costumes and then trying to like figure them out like is there like a rule book for that there um, Doug Chang, who's the most amazing, mm -hmm. gracious man in the whole wide world, who is the, I, I guess the head concept artist mm -hmm. for Lucas, he said, um, "I'm gonna get you on a plane and fly you out to um, um, Skywalker Ranch, and we're gonna walk through the warehouse, and you can touch the original costumes and take pictures with color cards and take um, measurements to every inch of everything. I, you know, we measured the dent in the helmet, and also worked with Legacy Effects on this particular yeah. costume to build it for me, and." You know, it's doing the math. It's getting it right. It means that much to us, just as much as it means to the fans, because we're we were fans first. Yeah. And so I got to walk through the warehouse and take pictures and touch the original Boba Fett and you know walk by, you know the original Tuscan Raiders who were just as interesting to me, you know, and the Jawas and every you know and the you know the stormtroopers and oh and that's a fun story too. I got to reinvent stormtroopers because of what they had to do in the rocky fight scene. Please tell us tell oh, us about it. Yeah. Well, um this was was all my specialty uh, customers. All my 705 shout out to the, to my amazing specialty group because yes. um they it was written that they're running around rocks. Well, mm -hmm. as any member of the 501st will tell you, you can't even you can't even go up a step in the a normal stormtrooper costume. Mm -hmm. So we did experiments of thinning the plastic, thinning the mixture, thinning what we're not plastic but what, what they were making. Yes, of. sure. Um, uh, the armor, um, so that they would have a little bend and a little more movement in them, especially with all the stunts. So it's giving to. them more movement, so yep. they could do and a lot more. Yeah, and so not only did we give them um, a ton of movement, like the stuntman was like, "Oh my gosh, I can raise my hands! Oh my gosh, I can raise my legs!" Mm -hmm. And because they had to run up these rocks, we even for the first time in Star Wars history made it so that you could remove the. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name. Move the bomb off the back of their backside ah. and put it in the tube. And <laughs> I know the name of it. I'm too completely blanking. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Can't remember. It's but like it's the like, first time in Star Wars history that that happened. That that's happened. Mm -hmm. So then, actually, what's ended up happening? That's actually a really good thing because that was something that we were worrying about. Firstly, it's like you said, the five the five oh first. Yes. They were able to be in the first season, yes. right? Yes. Have they been in the second season? No, at we all? haven't had that. Big of troop numbers. That big troop numbers, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. But then the fact that you guys were able to, you kind of changed canon a little bit in terms of giving stormtroopers more movement. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> I know even in the episode um, that we had where they where they were yeah like going down the rocks and all yeah. of that stuff, there was so much more movement. I was like, wow, the stormtroopers are really like. You're I was like, yeah, and I was at. They, not only were they moving, I was just like, wow, I'm actually kind of worried. Like, are they going to hit something? Like, they they're actually going to shoot something. Like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah, like that's funny. <laughs> so they felt. Yeah, I felt they felt like a little bit more menacing to me which i thought was kind of cool yeah um let's talk about also too i want to get into the the code of the mandalorian which yeah. is um talking about the removing of the helmet yeah. versus not removing because we got bo -Katan, yeah uh, who takes her helmet off yes. and is a part of the release of the death watch yeah. right so yeah. walk me through creating those characters well that i worked with um with uh, ironhead studios on mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> building her because I wanted her. I think part of a woman's powers are femininity, mm -hmm. and what I would what I was seeing in the animation was she was extremely feminine in her mm -hmm. shape and in her uniform. But mm -hmm. when I was seeing it translated to cosplay, everything kind of went very flat and masculine. Right. And I wanted to go back to the animation. I wanted to go back to the original where she was the shape of of a woman. I think women. And women's bodies are very powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think you can be very authoritative and be very feminine at the same time. I, I did that with Cara Dune, too. I brought her top down a little mm -hmm. bit and I brought her corset in a little bit mm -hmm. to accentuate her femininity yeah. because her power is relentless. And, right. and it was like part of her power is, is being a dame, is being, you know, mm -hmm. is being a rock and cool lady. So I, I wanted to do that with Bo-Katan and Koska, too, is, is I wanted to find the, the female figure in the armor and and not let that be taken away just because they're soldiers. And I think 
I think that they pulled it off. They looked just amazing, and and Katie and and I mean both of them were just amazing um, inhabiting these characters. And I'm just so proud of how that costume turned out. We really worked with Dave Filoni extremely closely on mm-hmm. working out the angles of the helmets and the cut of the cheekbones and the paint jobs. And um, we're going back and forth with you know doing digital drawings to make sure that we captured the animation animated character before we brought her to life. That's actually leading to one of the questions that I had too, which I'm glad you're talking about that, which was talking about translating animation to live action. Mm -hmm. Because I know that a lot of those characters are coming from that. And then you're also trying to deal with canon stuff you've seen before. So how are you um, inherently, like when you just talked about translating the animation in terms of the the shapes and the forms and all of that, um, are you... I guess I guess more testament to what you just said, which is what I like about that is that you're looking at something, you're trying to stay true to it, but then you're also trying to accentuate it on a real form. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit in terms of trying to make these animated characters more real? Like yeah. in terms of the shape language and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's it's not just shape language, it's what it's what fabrics will actually do in real life. And right. it's and it's what different lines will do to a real person's body in real life. And and Dave has been working very closely with me because he doesn't want me to be restrained by the animation mm-hmm. um, because he wants he wants our real actors to inhabit these characters. Right. And part of that is feeling comfortable in your costume. You're, you shouldn't be thinking about your costume when you're when you're performing. You know, yeah. that should just be part of your performance. So he's been incredible because it is a lot of pressure because I am a fan mm-hmm. and I want and I've been going to Comic-Con for, you know, 10 years straight, you know, and you just you want to honor the fandom. You want to honor the legacy. And so it's really important to me, every aspect of bringing these characters to life. I will say, too, that one of the things that I notice, even when you're bringing them to life, too, is when you talk about the fabric, mm-hmm. there's so much depth in it that it, it also kind of translates in a different way. So yeah. when you're talking about fabrics that, like, have a little bit of a weave of red in them, but yeah. then, like, when you're moving, you get little turns of red, and it's, like, changing colors, and it's just really cool. So yeah. I think that that's also something that's great that's showing through in the way that you're translating these designs. I mean, then also the aging and everything else, yeah. which we've shout out to the crew. Yes. For sure. that, because geez, there's yeah. so much of it. There's so much. Um, I'm gonna do a little aside really quick just to tell you guys that if we've talked about on different shows, Age or Dyers, yeah. but they are literally a godsend and yeah. a good one can make or break your show just because. I think a lot of people don't realize like when you see these things even come out like when they're done, right? They look brand new. So so much work has to go into making them look aged yes. or making them look worn or battle worn or just even simple things like the creases in shoes yes. or like, you know, the the way jackets are, you know, like the tears in them, the rips, all of that stuff. Um, and then knowing also too that Shauna in her budget schedule is also jumping into that as well as <laughs> like it's a lot. Um, yes. So shout out to your crew for that because there's a lot of aging yes. on that show. Um, I think for this particular season, or just in general, which character has been the most fun to dress? Um, I, I, it's, it's a hard one to so, choose, right? I mean, because Boba Fett, my childhood favorite, but um, Ahsoka just brought out so much creativity, and we worked out every fold in her belt. Um, Shannon Short is also really like well versed in leather, and mm-hmm. so much thought went into his belt. And then I had her side panels embroidered, and and we found silks and and. At first, John and Dave were like, "That's too see-through. That's you know, it's too feminine." I'm like, "Watch!" And and then we washed it and aged it, and then they loved it. And so I really, really enjoyed all the many details of hers. But the magistrate was wonderful, and mm. you know, and even the mayor of that town, you know, Wing, who was mm-hmm. he's actually, you know, legacy um, Disney, you know, architect and, and designer. So every every character I love. A lot. <laughs> well, let's let's squ- there's one thing that I want to like I want to draw attention to so we can just squash it, which yeah. is this uh, sweater. Yes. The sweater. <laughs> the Mon Calamari. The Mon Calamari sweater. Yes. So tell us about that sweater. So for the Calamari, I did um, because it's on a dock. I did a bunch of research of old Irish seamen and mm-hmm. I really wanted to get that right and to really capture the salty personalities and working on a dock. And, and it was all vintage. It was all from the, you know, everything from the 1800s to the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And there's a sweater from these islands. And of course, I'm blanking on the name. I should have written these things down because okay. under pressure, I forget <laughs> all the names. But it was amazing that the cable knits of these sweaters tell the stories of those that are lost at sea or of a family. And, and their markings and, the, and the, the twist of the cable are easily recognizable by other fishermen. And, and so they kind of know your story by by the details of your costume, which is the, the, 
the embodiment of what a costume designer does is right. creating a character, telling a story in one shot. And um, and so what was amazing is that now there's like a Facebook group called the the Cozy Fish People, <laughs> and they and their 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 word instead of this is the way is stay cozy, my friend, or something like that. And um, and just to see, uh, you never know what the fans are going to lock onto. But again, mm -hmm. that was done with love. That was done with research. That was done with. I wanted them to look like they're in a cold, wet environment. And although you know the Mon Calamari are fish, basically, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's uh, maybe it's keeping the moisture in. Because, right. You know, and so I just, I just love that the fans notice that. And you know, it's, although some might think it ridiculous, I just. I wanted it to feel authentic. No, I think if anything, I think this is great. I love being able to dive into it because then people know what the reasoning is behind yeah. things. So it's not just some random sweater from JCPenney people. No, it's, <laughs> like, no, it's from the Irish Isles. It's from the Irish Isles and it has a very me, a very real meaning as yes. to why they are wearing that. Yes. Um, so thank you for clearing that up as well. <laughs> um, I also wanted to talk really quickly about the Marshall. Yes. Um, Timothy. Oh, oh, yeah. I can. <laughs> Timothy, I'm horrible at your name. I'm sorry. Um, um, but I'm glad um, that that was one of the that reference to me felt very Western. Yeah. So can you explain kind of the the balances between like what you were looking at to do that character and then also the fact that he had to then give up his armor, yeah. you know, but he'd been using it for this purpose. So I'm sure the fans have already noticed, but I based his um, shirt on uh, Mal, uh, not Mal. Oh, from Firefly. No, I based his shirt on Han Solo. <laughs> okay. It's Han Solo's cut um, because Han Solo always had a very Western martial feel to me. Mm -hmm. um, he had, uh, you know, that cowboy feel, um, but in the Star Wars way. So the, the cut is very, is very Han Solo. Um, but I wanted it out of a fabric that sort of caught the wind and, and would, would, would blow and didn't seem classic cowboy. And so now I'm blanking on the name, but it has mm -hmm. the little holes in it um, rather than a, a solid, you know, hardy fabric. It's it's a little more blouson. And um, and I wanted to mix that with his extreme power, you know, and because he's a marshal with a heart. Right. He loves his villagers. He loves his town. Um, and the only reason why he inhabited that, you know, the armor was to protect his town. Protect his town. Right. And um, and from the, you know, the giant sand creature, crate, crate dragon. So. I wanted to show both his strength and and his the softness for his community. And I, I'm also gonna I'm gonna give Shauna a little help too and tell you guys that you guys have to remember, especially when you're working. Shauna did this what a year ago, yeah. so it's like it's like although the research is there, sometimes it's hard to recall. Sometimes I can't even remember what I did like six yeah. minutes ago or why I walked into the kitchen. So trying to remember the fine details of this thing is very difficult. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, just the general, just I think knowing the inspiration behind these things is really helpful. Yeah. Um, and also it's just um, it just kind of further there's that thought process that not like that everything is kind of it has its purpose. Yes. Um, so that's a good thing for that. Um, I think there might be one other question I think that I wanted to ask about this one, um, which was um, what do you feel like is maybe the most rewarding thing that you've done on the show so far? Working with John Favreau and Dave Filoni and Love Doug that. Chang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to see and and. and uh, and all the visiting directors like yeah. Bryce Bryce Dallas Howard and Robert, yes. Robert Rodriguez. And, I mean, every single one of them has been a dream to work with. These are incredible, incredible artists. And with John Favreau's leadership, there's a community that he creates, mm -hmm. a creative community where he's really encouraging you to be your best. I have never worked so hard in my life than I did on that show. And it was because it's a it's a it's 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 your passion. You you see how much he loves it. You see how much Dave loves it. How much Doug loves it, and you want and you love it. And you're being encouraged to express your love. And you're and you're not being made fun of for being you know so into it. You're being encouraged because you're so into it. And I'm like, this is the shirt and this is the detail and only the Uber fans will find that. And and I'll hide little things in Ahsoka's costume and and mm -hmm. little fans and fans will find it. And what what's even amazing with with Ahsoka the little details mm -hmm. is that when Dave's uh, Dave Filoni's wife came in, um, she's like, can I see the costume? Like they're even fans. They're very excited. She, yeah. He had told her so much about the costume that she couldn't wait to come in and touch it and hold it mm -hmm. and see all the different, you know, fabrics that we had used and all the different treatments to the fabrics. And then she was looking at the bead and she was, and she just became stunned and she's like, Oh my gosh. And, and I was like, what? And she's like the symbol on this last bead. And I said, yes. And she's like, 
I had a dream on the top when I was in deep prayer and, you know, on top of a mountaintop and, mm-hmm. you know, in I don't remember where she said she was, Tibet or something mm-hmm. like that. And she's like, I saw this vision and I got the tattoo. It was the exact, exact circle X and four dots as the end bead of Ahsoka's what? bead. So I had chosen sort of spiritually yeah. the same image that she had seen years ago and, and, put on, and, and tattooed, tattooed on, on her. Right. That's incredible. So working with people like that who mm-hmm. are truly invested in it heart body soul and mind and spirit it's it's a true gift it feels like it too and i feels like everybody kind of it's one of those crews that feels like they're collectively all actually working together and all saying we're all moving in the same direction Um, and i drawing attention to that further um something that i've kind of noticed and i wanted to wanted you to expand on is the uh diversity of the show that we're seeing in terms of the characters on screen can you talk about that a little bit yeah well John Favreau is committed to he's always has been mm-hmm. committed to 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 seeing diversity on screen. It just makes the world better, you know, because everybody brings their own culture and their old imprint. It's what heaven will look like. It's what earth looks like. It's what every screen and piece of art should be yeah. influenced by. And he's always very conscious, both, uh, you know, d- diversity wise in um, age, weight, mm-hmm. race. Male, female, mm-hmm. trans, whatever. He's always very uber aware of bringing all the community to the table to bring this collective piece of artwork to the screen. And I think that that kind of love and determination influences us. It was yes. it was funny when uh, um, Julie Robar and I were crewing up. It's very easy, you know, just to go to the quick circle that you you're kind of familiar with. But part of um, I, I, w- I forget the word, but um, th- well, just the history of, of racism mm-hmm. where not many, not as many people of color were able to start in the business Correct. at the same time because it was very white for a long time. And so finding people that you can bring in to start as a PA position and then raise them up and train them. It, it might take a little bit more work, but you find those people. You find those people who are learning, who are in school, and you bring them in as PAs, mm-hmm. and then they get exposed to all the different departments, and then you raise them up and train them so that they, too, can bring in their people and, and raise them up and train them. So it's not just diversity on the screen. We're all very, very committed to making sure that we're reaching out to all ages, sexes, religion, whatever, yeah. and, and races to bring a complete artistic vision to the screen. And that's something that I really love. It's something that um, has been a passion of mine as well, even in terms of just, I I feel, um, what I love about this is I feel that visuals are super important. Yeah. It's like, in, in, it's my world specifically, just yeah. being a concept artist is visuals are so important. We're bombarded by them every day. Yeah. We, we're surrounded by them. And then also we're surrounded by so many different types of people. It's really nice to have our entertainment also show that. Yeah. Um, and also knowing now, too, I'm glad to hear that it's also behind the scenes yes, because you have to so. have different diverse points of view. Um, but it also I think I, I touched on this a little bit when I spoke with uh, Dana Pink about Lovecraft Country, yeah. which is in this instance, the best thing about diversifying worlds like this is, is that we all finally get a chance to play. Yes. We all feel like we're a part of it. Um, you can see yourself in, in different characters or or a character does something that you relate to from yeah. when you were younger. Um, and then being able to play with that, like in an intergalactic world, yeah. is just so much fun. Yeah. Um, so thank you to your crew. Shout out to Jean Favreau. Yes. Much love to you for yes, doing yes. that. Um, I think that that's great. Um, I think is there now that we're kind of moving, let's move into a little bit more a different topic. I want to talk to you about working during COVID. Sure. So talk to me a little bit about how you've adjusted to that and like how you guys are being safe and all just the just the differences in, you know, working before versus now. Well, um, season uh, two wasn't happening during COVID. Yeah. So I am um, not working on the season three hasn't started. yet. Yes. So, so yes, working during COVID is is hard to talk on. Yes, for sure. No, for sure. That's <laughs> completely fine. I think I know that um I know that a lot of the things have just in terms of just even just living during COVID. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like yes. yet alone working. But but I mean I've done I've done a little low budget project that I can speak to. Sure, please. Um that that we were, we were putting together and and it, it was very important you know, everybody's getting their temperature taken, you're getting mm-hmm. your COVID test, you're you know all these different things. So 
I think the, the thing that we have to keep remembering is that you might not be afraid of catching COVID, but you should be afraid of bringing it home to someone you love. Correct. And I think that that keeping the industry going is is important because of our entertainment and it's how we get it can escape a little and it's how we get encouragement and it's how we learn new things like like the queen's gambit was to, you know now me and my son are playing chess i mean that's just it was so incredible it, it was such a great <laughs> movie you know and and her costumes were just extraordinary so mm-hmm. so i think entertainment is a sort of essential business not nothing like the heroes of of the frontline workers but i mean on on a side note it's because we do need that escape and we do it's the family time it's it's how we it's how we can you know, talk about something else besides, you know, what we're scared of and, and, and our pressures. And so I think it's important to keep it going. And, and I respect the film industry's commitment and mm-hmm. the union's commitment to keeping us safe and getting getting us COVID tests three times a week and taking our temperatures and keeping us six feet apart and giving us face shields and giving us masks. You know, um, I even got a, a chain for my mask mm-hmm. so that I have it with me no matter where I go. Um, because I don't want to bring it home to someone I love. And, you know, and although my pot is very small at home, mm-hmm. you know, I do see my mother and, and I would never want to, I'd, I'd never want to jeopardize anybody. The same. I've been keeping my pot very small and just kind of trying to make sure that we're at home. I also, I went through a period, I think, I don't know if this is the same for you, just creatively, where at first I was a little like, I've, I'm, I'm used to working at home now because yeah. I've been, a lot of stuff can be done through Zoom yeah. and then I'm illustrating, so I'm sending stuff back and forth. There, there came a point where at first I was kind of a little burned out. But then I I had this full invigoration of creativity where I started to be because I enjoyed being at home yeah. and I was seeing my family more and then I had time to actively kind of think out yes. things that I you know like to do yeah um, and um, and then because of where I live it's like very you know it's just very not I don't want to say isolated it's very slow it's very suburban and yes. very you know we live in the same yeah area. same area <laughs> I didn't want, I didn't want to put you out there but yes <laughs> yeah. we live very similar in similar areas yes. so it's like because of where we are. Um, it just feels very calm. Yes. And I think I was able to find a piece of calm. But then creatively, I was able to be more inspired during COVID sure. because I had time to slow down. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that that was something that I thought was interesting, too, along with it kind of feeling. I tried to explain it to my daughter. My daughter's 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to explain to her that the COVID time feels similar to me in some instances is the way it was before we had the big technology sure. boom. Sure. Where it just felt like things were slower, like, oh, someone calls, you may call them back like next week, like, you know, or yeah. the day, but they like, it's not like everything wasn't immediate. Yeah. Um, and I like that. Yeah. I mean, I started a couple of paintings, a watercolor and acrylic painting. And I, you know, and like I said, I, I bought a chess set, <laughs> you know, the slow game of chess, um, you know. It's been so incredible watching uh, the Queen's Gambit. I, I didn't, I think what took me most surprised by surprise by that is like, everyone's like, Queen's Gambit, Queen's Gambit, and everyone's watching it, watching it, watching yeah. it, and saying, it's so awesome and I was like I just kept saying it's about chess and I was like I'm not really into chess and then by the end of the first episode I was like we're on board like let's go yeah. we're in for this whole thing yeah. so I was like so that was fun so to kind well of do during written, quarantine yeah. and that was something again like you said now you're picking it up and just picking up things is there anything that creatively you've picked up during quarantine just from being at home well you know we we bought a house shortly before it hit so we were kind of moving in at first mm-hmm. but then you know once i got the easel set up i started painting and drawing and um my daughter has redesigned her bedroom 400 times and has dyed her hair every color of the book and has you know now shaved her head you know so she was <laughs> expressing her creativity that way um but it is family times that we've been baking bread and baking cookies and bake you know so it, it really is um going back to the old-fashioned days of of really spending quality family time together which I, which is such a gift what advice would you give our listeners or anyone that's new that's starting out that wants to do costume design or wants to do it as a career? Well, you know, we do um, what we did. We did have or we do whatever have people that we do bring into mm-hmm. our, our department who are starting out. Yeah, um, it's it's very hard work, <laughs> um, you know, getting a, a, a production assistant in the costume department. You are basically doing everything from getting lunches to taking out the trash, you know, to doing returns. It's all very clerical and very boring work, but you're being exposed to everything. Right. And then you 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 at least see and learn how that business works. So that's starting really, you know, at the bottom, which I think is a really good way to get going. I, I took a different route, which I really love too, mm-hmm. is going to film schools and asking the, the 
the student directors and producers if you can design their film. Yeah. Because then you do everything. I've held boom, mm-hmm. you know, you, which is the sound mic. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, You learn every aspect of filmmaking from, like, actors would say, you know, the costume designer usually has an iron with her. I'm like, oh, okay, because I was really yeah. <laughs> learning. You're, I was my own department. Um, and then you slowly grow and learn more. So you always will always have compassion on your set people doing the long hours. You'll always have compassion on your people aging and dying and the rawness of their hands from sanding all day because you've done every single layer of it. So that's the best way, I would say, to get started is is to start on the student level and move up. And to move up. So I think, again, I, a, a occurring theme you, know, you guys know for me specifically is passion, which yes. is the passion and the drive to be able to do this thing and to find where you kind of fit in, being um, able to uh, to fully humble yourself and know that you are going to try different parts of the department. You may be doing something that you're not completely interested in, but you're learning. The ability to learn and then having the passion to see it through and exploring different career paths ultimately leads you with everyone that we've talked to. It leads them back to what they really, truly love to do. Um, In this instance, I also want to give a shout out to Shauna personally and say that as I've watched her, she's worked so hard. Um, completely hard. One of the nicest people that I know, and I am so proud and so happy for her to have Mandalorian <laughs> as a show that she is actively working on. Um, and so I just I needed to give you that shout out because I I think uh, creatively this business can be um, difficult, and the constant byline in it, especially with it, is the passion, loving what you're doing, and working hard. And Shauna is all of those things. <laughs> thank so so thank you so much for joining thank us you, today. Um, I need to give a shout out to our uh, one of our sponsors, which is Gardena Cinema. Um, Gardena Cinema is the only old-fashioned single-screen standalone neighborhood movie theater still in operation in South Los Angeles Ooh. area, owned and operated by Judy Kim and the Kim family since 1976. Yay. So make sure you guys check out Garden Cinema. Um, Gardena. Gardena, sorry. <laughs> See, now, sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Kim. <laughs> Gardena Cinema. Um, um, and also want to give a shout out to Marilyn Vance um, for yes, starting our podcast. You, um, and uh, uh, tell us where we can follow you. Um, at TRPCIC on Instagram and Shauna Terpsik on Facebook. Make sure you guys follow Shauna and uh, keep up with what she's doing. And maybe at some point she can drop us some more some more nuggets or some <laughs> some uh, some hints at what she's up to. And uh, follow me on Instagram at uh, at Phil, P-H-I-L underscore Boutte, B-O-U-T-T-E. Um, and thank you for joining us and come back again. Hey, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Shauna. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to our sponsor, Gardena Cinema. Gardena Cinema is the only old-fashioned, single-screen, standalone neighborhood movie theater still in operation in the South Los Angeles area. Owned and operated by Judy Kim and the Kim family since 1976, Gardena Cinema has been able to transition to outdoor cinema in the parking lot for an intimate drive-in experience, and has hosted movie shoots, music video shoots, and still photo shoots for an authentic, vintage-looking location. Thank you to our viewers. Be sure to follow and subscribe to Designing Hollywood Podcasts on social media and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Deezer, and the YouTube channel for complete past and current episodes. Also, we're now available on Amazon and Siri Voice Search.